Hey y'all, welcome to Life Not Wasted, a podcast hosted by Amanda Hill and Molly Eiler. We're two friends from Texas who got sober in our 20s and are now trying to figure life out in our 30s. So grab your booze-free beverage of choice and join us each week for candid conversations about sobriety, spirituality, and how to live a life not wasted. Welcome back to another episode of Life Not Wasted. I'm Molly Eiler, joined by Amanda Hill, the uh, almost official Amanda Hill. Yes, pending the DMV confirmation. Yes. Wow. How does it feel? Feels great. We got married five months ago. Yeah. And so it's been a long time coming. I've just been too lazy to actually <laughs> do anything about it. And now with my my new firm, their email address, because my legal name was Node, they just yeah. did Amanda Node. And I was like, but my name isn't Node, it's Hill. And then I realized legally, no, it's not. So I got off my butt and started all the paperwork. I don't blame you for um, procrastinating and avoiding the DMV. Yeah. Well, especially amidst COVID. Like, right. They did a very good job. I went to like the super center down south of Dallas. Mm-hmm. They were sticklers and I loved it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I felt so comfortable. Was that the highlight of your day and your weekend? Yes, it was. I've had a, (laughs) it's kind of sad that like the highlight of my weekend and week was the DMV, but um, I have been studying for these licensing exams and it is a new part of my brain that I'm exercising, like the memorization and the math and like all the stuff that I love, but it's not easy. And so yeah. just going through that, it was like, it's really nice to go to the DMV and I can't work, can't study, right. just need to sit there and wait for my number to be called, maybe listen to a podcast, just kind of my equivalent of just like vegging on the couch. Yeah. But I love in it. public. With lots of strangers. With lots of strangers. <laughs> a lot of people taking like needing driver's certifications and all that kind of stuff. And Oh, fun. Yeah, it was really fun to overhear all those conversations, but I'm I'm happy to be on my way. Yay. Yay. Um, okay. Well, I first of all, we've been so excited with all of the positive feedback we've gotten about the podcast, the texts, the Instagram messages, the Facebook messages. We appreciate every single one of them. And we feel so lucky to be able to do this and to be supported by so many people. Um, but Amanda, I wanted to bring something up because as a result of this podcast, a, uh, friend from college who I hadn't talked to, I think really since college, but we'd stayed connected on Facebook messaged me. And she had actually a really great question that she was hoping we could maybe talk about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she asked, so a little um, bit of her background without, you know, ruining any confidentiality. She First and last asked, name, address, phone number. Social. Yeah. Give me all of it. <laughs> she um, has personally stopped drinking, but for health reasons, not for addiction reasons, which all the power to her. And um, told me she has family members who struggle with addiction. Mm. And her question was about friends and family and social life without drinking Mm. when it is such a 
huge part of our culture and maybe specific to like certain people's friend groups or family. Um, Drinking can be a big part of that culture. And so she wanted to hear about our experiences with our friends and family and our social lives since we stopped drinking. Mm, That's a really good one. I know. Because that's that's a really intimidating part of getting sober is like, right. well, what do you do? What do you... Right. The whole world revolves around alcohol when you're drinking, even when you're not an alcoholic. It's like the whole world revolves around it. So what do you, what do, you do when you're not? You stand there with a glass of water. What do you do? Yeah. And it's hard because so much, so much of our culture and like Instagram culture is validating drinking, you know, like... Yeah. You know, you see shirts that are like, I love the bachelor and wine or like moms drink or like I earned this and it's like a a bottle or a shot or a drink or something, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the socially acceptable reward or, uh, activity, you know? Yeah, totally. So what was your social life like when you first quit drinking? What changes did you notice? It it ebbed and flowed. So I had <laughs> I don't want to like discourage anyone because I um am an introvert at heart. I love yeah. people, but I'm I'm like an ambivert. So I'll have some days where I'm like, I just want to lay in bed and not talk to anyone, and other days where I'm like, why have I not talked to every single friend I've ever had? Um and so um when I first got sober the first few months, it was like nothing. Like I didn't really want anyone to know. And so, um, I just kind of faked it. Like I had, like, I would go to the bar by myself and get like a soda water and lime or, you know, a Coke and a little tumbler so that it kind of looked, looked like a whiskey or, you know, like I just tried to kind of pass it off until I could, um, get more confident in sobriety. Yeah. And then, um, I, went through like a big relationship changed, went, went through moved apartments, like did all th- this stuff. Like I just overhauled a ton of, ton of my life. And that led me to be living alone for the first time in a very long time. And, um, well, first time living alone ever besides like one summer in college, I basically ended up for maybe like a three or four months stretch, like just staying home. Mm-hmm. And I don't love to admit that. Cause I don't want people to think that you just have to like sit and not do anything if you're if you're sober. But um, I went through a phase where I needed to. How do I say this? And I'm not being eloquent about it, but it was more painful to be lonely in a crowded room mm-hmm. than it was to be lonely by myself. Yes, and so yes. I went maybe four months, three or four months, where I wouldn't really see anyone on the weekends all my friends were going to bars and stuff. And I just didn't, it just made me sad. Like, mm-hmm. I just was like, I don't know how to connect with them right now. I don't want to be drinking on their level. I don't, you know, I, there's just a disconnect here and I don't know how to, um, move forward in my life right now on the weekends. And luckily it didn't last forever. I'm pretty sure I perfected an oatmeal cookie recipe. Cause I was just baking and <laughs> cook. Like I was just by myself the whole time. Um, but I kind of had this shift around, it was St. Patrick's day. 
actually St. Patrick's Day, the, the year after I got sober. So it was 2016. And it was the first weekend where everyone was doing something. Every Dallas is huge for St. Patrick's huge. Day. And I don't yeah. understand it. But I don't either. Yes, yeah, like we're not largely Irish. I don't, I don't get it. But there's a huge St. Patrick's Day parade. And um I just couldn't do it. And so after four months of just kind of being in hibernation, I decided I'm going to take myself out on a date. And I went to a restaurant by myself and ate dinner for the first time ever. I went to a movie by myself for the first time ever. And after that, I feel like I had enough confidence in who I was and I didn't need to rely on other people that I got to want other people again. Um, And so I got to hang out with those friends and, you know, um, I feel like I was on more solid ground, but also a lot of that was finding friends in a 12 step program. Like that was a huge part of it was, um, not having my friends who were also drinking being the only people that I could socialize with. And it took me, it took me a minute, (laughs) took me like through that four months to really feel like I had friends in a 12 step program and like had people that I could call and want to be around. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just like a period of transition, I guess. What was it like for you? Um, honestly, very similar. I oatmeal cookies and all. No, definitely not that part, but I, no, but I was, um, not too long after I got sober, there was like a lot of weird housing situations. Like one of the in, like inciting incidents in me getting sober was my apartment had gotten broken into. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, I moved back home with my parents. And it was like while I lived at my parents' house that I decided to get sober. And then quickly after that, I realized I needed to not be living like 26 and living at my parents' house anymore. Not that I don't love my parents and that they weren't supportive, but it was just like we I needed space and the right roommate um appeared. And so I and you know, different from you, I had always lived alone. So this was my first time living with someone else. And Mm. it was a friend that um I'd previously drank with, but you know, she was normal. She she is still normal. Um, and I wasn't. And so, um, she was very great and included me in a lot of things. And so I still felt like I was getting very much like the social engagement from just living with her and from being around her, but weekend nights in particular were very tough for me. And, um, one thing that I've always done is babysit and have like, I have such a strong side hustle for babysitting. And I remember I babysat a lot in that first year on Friday and Saturday nights. Yes, I was making that money. And, um, it was nice to have somewhere that I needed to be Mm. for like the whole night. Yeah. And that I couldn't leave. And, um, sometimes I wanted to be other places for sure. But it was, it was nice to be kind of forced into a smarter choice. So I did spend a lot of my weekend nights alone. I did try to 
in that first few months, that actually really the first 30 days, uh, I was not yet going to 12-step meetings. And uh, I was sober, but not really. I, I mean, I was sober in that I wasn't drinking. I was not sober in that I was miserable. And uh, re- we call it dry. Like I was very yeah. dry. Dry drunk. And very dry drunk. And I thought that I could just go to the same places that I always went, do the same things that I always did with the same people, mm-hmm. just without the drinking. And that how'd that, that go? It, <laughs> about as well as you'd think. You know, when you say you're lonely in a crowded room, I mean, it was so bad. I felt like my skin was crawling. Yeah. That is like the best feel the best description I can say is like I just felt like my skin was crawling. And I felt like I was making all of my friends uncomfortable. And it wasn't that I was making them uncomfortable. It's that I was so uncomfortable with myself. Right. Because I hadn't yet accepted that this was a forever thing. Right. And I hadn't yet come to terms with that 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 was a good thing. Right. Um, which probably ended up taking me closer to a year, if I'm being very realistic about it. Right. But one thing that did help is um, nights that I wasn't babysitting or being a dry drunk at the bars, I um, found 12-step meetings that were happening on Friday and Saturday nights at like 8 p.m. And then, you know, people would go get tacos after or would go get ice cream after or would hang out. And um, it's funny because we've mentioned before some young people meetings and I really liked them. But what I what I thought was so funny is a couple times I went to like socialize on weekends with the young people uh 12 step group members. And uh it felt like I was at like a basement party, like in high school, but like with no booze. Yeah. Just like a lot of Red Bull and cigarettes. So much Red Bull and cigarettes. Yeah. And I'm cool with one of those things. And it's not the, <laughs> the six, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and like so much vape smoke. So much vape. So Which much more power to him. If it keeps you sober. Vape. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. But yeah, I, they always, the young people's meetings, it was amazing when I first got sober because it allowed me to see other people in my area that were young and sober. But yes. very quickly they were like, well, we'll go to dinner after the meeting from 7 to 8 p.m. So we'll go to dinner by the time everyone's wrapping up by like 8.30. And I was like, I am asleep by 9.05. Right. I can't, I cannot do that. Even at 25. It's like, I can't do it. It was, it was not my speed, if you right. will. Um, so, right. it, you know, it took a lot of like experimenting to find my groove. And that transition period you talk about is like, it's so true. And, you know, it's just like moving to a new city or starting a new job or uh, entering a new relationship. It takes a minute to like find your footing and find your groove. Yeah. And once I did, it clicked and I felt so comfortable um, more than I thought I would, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, there were a few things that were like pushed me over the edge into comfort. Um, I would, okay. What are they? One was finally being okay being by myself. Yeah. That allowed me to move forward from a completely different place. And and two, it was the amends process through a 12-step program where mm-hmm. I was able to actually go to these people that I had had these drunk and horrible interactions with. And I'm 
I'm probably being very dramatic. It wasn't always horrible encounters. Like a lot of my friends were very surprised that I got sober, but being able to go to them and have those conversations and know that I had apologized for my actions and had told them that I wasn't going to be drinking anymore and they still loved me and still wanted to be my friend. That was transformational because then I knew next time we hang out, they're not going to be like, hey, do you want to drink? Why don't you want to drink? Are you still doing that thing? Now you know, like this is at least, I mean, one day at a time, but this is the path I'm on right now. Yeah. And that was a, that was a game changer completely. Was there any specific event? This question could go two ways. Hmm. Was there any event or situation where you felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. This is my limit. I found it. Or was there any event or situation you found where you were like, finally, I am myself again and I'm comfortable? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, There were several nights where I had to be okay going home early. Mm-hmm. And that felt like a little mini version of finding your limits. Yeah. Um, But I'm just now during this conversation kind of putting it together that when I started my reclusive phase, the beginning of 2016, it kind of started and ended. It started with um, kind of a rejection from a person I was dating and ended with me finally like getting okay with myself. So I feel like I came a little bit full circle there. Yeah. I'm like, just, I'm just putting that together and I'm really proud of myself. So glad we could have this therapy session. I know. Thank you so much. How much do I owe you? $125. No, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be your friend. Friends and family um, discount. Yeah. Um, so when it kind of, it was like a Christmas party and it was the first one since I had changed, I had, you know, my boyfriend and I had broke up and he had kept the dog that he got me and we had moved out of our apartment and all this, all this change had happened. Um, and I was dating, uh, this guy and it was really new and he was a little bit younger and I hadn't told him that I was going to be sober. I had just told him I wasn't really drinking and he had been with me when we were drinking previously. So he knew that I had drank, like he had worked with me for like three years in a, in a separate part of the building, but at, you know, office happy hours and stuff, he had seen that I was drinking and then all of a sudden I wasn't. Yeah. And, um, it happened like right before we had kind of started seeing each other and we were getting dinner before Christmas party. And I still remember this. We were like in his car eating hamburgers at like a, this drive through dive hamburger place in Dallas. Keller's. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. So it good. was so good. I love Keller's. Yeah. yeah. Um, shout out Keller's sponsor. us. Yeah. <laughs> shout out. <laughs> so we were sitting there and he looked at me and was like, so if I made you my special mojito Ugh, I'm, I know where and this I is going. got all the ingredients and I made it and it was just for you. You wouldn't even have a sip. And I said, no. And he goes, okay. And the whole night, like it was over. Oh yeah. Like that ended everything. Yep. And it, it was this moment of, I have been, I've become fundamentally incompatible with the world around me. Well, okay. Because I can't even take a sip. But let's also talk about how problematic that question is and that response is from that guy. Because as a person who has spent the majority of the past five years single and working to find a relationship, that I'm so triggered by that. Because the number of times that I can, I, I, I thought it was an asset to be open, honest, and upfront in like 
a Bumble profile, let's say, about not drinking Mm -hmm. and not like broadcasting it being like sober since 2516. Like, no, I'm not doing that (laughs) profile, but like it asks you your drinking habits. And I say never. And it's like right next to height, five, four workout occasionally, Mm -hmm. which is a lie, but like it's right there and says never. And the number of times I've gotten like really never, really never, Mm -hmm. or people who don't even look at that and then get like really offended when I, do, I, the number of yeah. times, Oh, Amanda, I'm so triggered by that. But I, I feel so I can, I can understand that feeling of like being so sure in your answer of that to mm-hmm. that question and someone else being so uncomfortable with your response. I'm lucky that I was I stayed sober and long enough to move through it and realize um, the value in it. Like, you know, I, I'm so glad I didn't let that derail me. Um, but to to call out to call out my husband, who we talked about in the codependence episode as being this little angel of a man. When we first started talking, it was like over Instagram Messenger because we went to middle school and high school together. So when I friend requested him, he messaged me and was like, "Hey, long time no talk. How are you?" And we talked about going and getting breakfast and or getting getting together for something mm-hmm. to like catch up. And he said, well, what about this place in Deep Element has really great drinks? And I said something like, you know, oh, I actually don't drink. Maybe I said I have an allergy to it. I said something where I was like, you know, I'm just not going to do drinks. But what if we did lunch or what if we did like brunch on a weekend and he didn't respond? Uh, Bobby. For like five days. And this was like a Tuesday Whoa. before the Sunday we were supposed to get together. Whoa. And Sunday morning, he just hadn't responded. And so thank goodness, having moved through this whole phase and being the independent woman I was after going to the restaurant and the movie by myself, I was, I messaged him that morning. I was like, Hey, we're doing this or not? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And he was like, Oh my gosh, yes. No, of course. Like, And now knowing Bobby responded, he didn't respond for five days is like so par for the course. Like he probably just yeah. was like busy. Like Ooh. forgot or just didn't yeah. even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when after our first date, he still didn't try to get my number. I was like, are you playing on Instagram messaging me for the rest of our relationship? Like, Bless his heart. I, yeah, boys. Freaking boys. But that, like, e- even in the one that eventually became my husband, there was that, like, weird yeah. kind of initial conversation. And that's why, for me, it was so, it it was so important to be, honest about the fact that it's a positive choice for Mm -hmm. me. And if they're supportive of it, then great. Mm -hmm. And if not, then go away. Like I don't, I don't need you. And honestly, so many of my friends have been like, I'm bummed because I miss my, I really enjoyed drinking a bottle of wine with you. But if you really think this is the best thing for you, great. And and we move on in our wine tastings turn into wine and cheese tastings. And then I just get to eat, eat all the cheese or, you know, we adapt and we still find ways to be together and it doesn't revolve around alcohol the time, all the time, but, um, there's definitely an adjustment and I did lose friends, you know, and, and you have to be okay with that. If you're gonna be able to do this. That's a really great point. And sometimes you have to be the one to I don't want to say end the friendships or cut off the friendships, but maybe distance yourselves from yourself from the relationships. Like there were certain friendships 
and relationships I had that were so tied to drinking Mm. were hard for me to continue in sobriety. And I had to be the one that was like, I can't, I need a break from this for a minute. Like I need to step away from this friendship because this is hard for me right now. And I, I mean, I'm so grateful that those people have stuck around and they're still in my life as, you know, not as close as we once were, but I still feel like I can consider them a friend and can be a part of their lives and they can be part of mine, but the nature of the friendship changed and it needed a clean break. It's, and it's interesting too, because a treatment center right. or rehab, traditional rehab is not part of either one of our stories. But I think there is a benefit and and you know, I'm grateful that it didn't that my recovery journey did mm. not require require a treatment center. I know that that is a blessing and a gift because that can be very traumatic. It can be very stressful. It can be very scary. But I, I there is a, something to be said for having that clean break of day zero and day one. And like when you come back, everyone kind like it's different. And mm-hmm. for us, there's a lot more gray area in that transition than maybe someone who's been in treatment for 60 days or 30 days or even six months or a year yeah. where it's like very black and white. Like I was in treatment and now I am not. I was not here, but now I am. And for us, it's like, I mean, yeah. I got sober. Uh, I decided to get sober on a Sunday. I went to work on a Monday. You know, like nothing. It, it just, yeah. It. I never stopped life. And, um, you know, Tuesday when I was supposed to go to book club and bring two bottles of wine and I didn't yeah. go because I couldn't handle that. It was like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesday when I was supposed to go, go to Bible study and bring a bottle of wine, it was like, what happened? And, you know, it's like it had only been two days. Um, so that, that kind of was hard. I remember, so I got sober in February and I remember it was either May or August. I'm pretty sure it was May, but my, and Nathan and Joe will correct me, but my friends from college, Nathan and Joe got married in California and all of my college friends were there. Of course. And it was this, at this beautiful, it was at a vineyard in Temecula, California. Of course it was. I mean, it was the most gorgeous place I've ever seen. Okay. Maybe three months. And I remember I have never felt more like myself. And I, I know this is shocking, but I cried because I felt, I know, I know I did. I did it because I felt like I could finally be myself because I was surrounded by people who were so supportive of my not drinking and didn't ask any questions except for saying things like, How's it going? How can we help you? How can we be, you know, yeah. how can, can we drive you to a meeting this weekend? Do you need to do something? Like they were doing all of those kinds of things and not doing the why, when, you know, like that kind of thing. It was so, it, it, that was a turning point for me where I felt like, you know what? I actually had a glimpse like that too. Um, mine was about a month into my sobriety and I had to go to a bachelorette party in Mexico. I think it was really helpful that I went to the uh, the young person's meeting like right before. And yeah. so many people were like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That I was almost like challenged. Like, I can do it. <laughs> like, okay. You know, my pride was just like, I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and honestly, a lot of people on the trip didn't even know I was sober. Because when you're staying at a resort like that, you can be like, I have a virgin pina colada. Yep. Make it like you would for a kid. Yep. And then you just drink that and no one, no one's the wiser. Um, but I remember 
we went to this discoteca um, on the resort and it was like a club. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why the time we were there, no one was in the club. I mean, it was an empty dance floor. And I mean, music was great. I don't know why no one showed up, but no one was there. And so the girls like just being wasted started dancing and I started dancing too. Like Mm -hmm. I love dancing and I realized I'm kind of fun. Like I kind of, I kind of don't need alcohol. And then when you, when you, um, when you go through a situation like that and you realize that, oh, I can actually connect better and I'm funnier and I'm a, probably a better dancer when I'm sober, it changes everything because you can look at it as saying, no, no, no. I'm my best self when I'm not drinking because when I start drinking, I can't stop. And so blackout Amanda is trash compared to sober Amanda that is confident in the decision she's making and is able to still be a total weirdo on the dance floor. Um, it's just, it's a night and day difference. And my dad, I saw my dad this last weekend for the first time in five months. And before that it had been nine months. And so there's just been a very, very long time since I've seen my dad. And he was like, you know, ever since you got sober, you feel there's like a content energy coming from you. Oh, like you feel really confident and really calm. And wow. I, I was like, well, that's my, my first thought was, well, you don't see me a lot of the time yeah. because I'm certainly not calm, cool and collected most <laughs> of the time. And my second thought was like, well, yeah, cause I'm not sabotaging myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not sabotaging my friendships. And honestly, I am, I thought not being able to drink with my friends would make me less valuable to them as a friend. Yeah. But now I realize that I am a much, much better friend to them. Yeah. When I can be there for them sober and when I'm not hungover for three days and I'm not a total mess because my interactions with my friends now are totally within my control. Totally. I don't have blacked out periods of hours where I have no idea what I said to them and they have to just forgive me for. Um, We don't have that tension. Right. It's just, supportive, loving, wonderful friendships now. Um, and there I kept sabotaging myself and my friendships when I was drinking because I just get blacked out. And it was very clear to everyone around me that alcohol was more important than they were to me. Right. Now I don't have that. It's amazing. It's freeing. Very freeing. It's so freeing. And it's been, it's been really important to explain it like that. It was something like that to my friends that are normal drinkers that drank a lot Mm -hmm. because most of my friends were drinking with me. Yeah. You can't drink with an alcoholic and not feel a little weird when they're like, oh, my drinking was really problematic. Exactly. Well, then what do you think about my drinking? Because I drank right alongside you. Right. So much of the mental component and the blacking out and the days long hangovers, so much of that wasn't a shared experience with my friends. Yeah. Like they, they got drunk 
because they intentionally wanted to get drunk. Right. And that is totally different yeah. than the way I, the way I drank. Towards yeah. the end, I didn't want to get drunk and I still ended up being drunk. Right. My friends being able to say, yep, I'm going to get a little rowdy tonight. Mm-hmm. That is totally different than the type of drinking I was drinking. Agreed. Um, and that's so important for, for me to be able to share with my friends to know, like, there's no judgment for our shared experiences. Like, I look back on so much of my drinking career, especially with my high school friends mm-hmm. who are my, my best friends in, in high school. Were my best friends in college? Were my best friends after college? Are my best best friends now? And those women have been with me through so much mm-hmm. that I don't look back at our time drinking together and think, "Oh, that was so miserable." I look back right. on those moments, thinking like those were some of the most amazing bonding moments with those friends. Yeah, and holding both at the same time. At some point, it changed for me. At some point, I lost the ability to control how much I drank once I started drinking. Yeah. And that changed everything for me. But that doesn't mean that those shared experiences and and those moments, even when they were the craziest moments, weren't important to me and valuable in our friendship. And I don't regret those at all. Yeah. You know, it just changed for me. And no matter how much I wanted to still be like them, Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Yeah. And I needed to completely abstain from alcohol in order to have any chance at still being their friend. Yeah. It's kind of heavy when it's like personal relationships and you care about these people. But I'm so, I'm so encouraged that I have 12 step friends and I have my family relationships still intact and I have my friend relationships still intact. And the friends that have kind of fallen away weren't. The lasting friendships anyway. Right. You know, the the friends that were saying, like, well, I don't really want to hang out with you anymore. Yeah. Cause you're you're not drinking are usually the ones that either like have a problem themselves and it's too painful to watch someone else not drink, or yep. they were never really interested in my friendship in the first place. They were interested in a drinking buddy. Yep. And most of my friends were genuine friends. And I'm really lucky for that. Um, yeah. but once I got through that adjustment period that looks totally different for everyone, it allowed me to show up so much better for those friends and love them so much better that yeah. it makes it way easier to stick with my choice because I know that we might start drinking together, mm-hmm. but then I would go yeah. downhill quick. Yeah. It was it had different endings. Yeah. Started different the same way. Endings. Different Very different yeah. endings. And that's... Uh, <sighs> It's interesting the the process of coming to terms with like our friends and our family's reactions to our drinking is so tough because I, at least for me I can I can speak to this like I wanted them to congratulate me buy me a ribbon and um just like drop everything to support me but also not like fuss over me because I don't really like anyone really fussing over me. But so it was like this, I had this very specific vision of how I wanted them, my friends and my family to act around me and treat me when I would tell them that I quit drinking. And some of them were very supportive and did very close to what I, it had envisioned in my perfect mind enough to where I was like, this is great. I'm so happy right now. And other people were like, yeah. hmm. and this is actually something that um, 
I've been working on with my clients at the rehab because uh, my first kind of group of clients is about to graduate and leave and go home. One thing we talk a lot about is how we have been present for our we we have been present for our personal change the whole time. So we've mm-hmm. been with our own personal change the whole experience. Our friends and family haven't. And we've changed our behaviors overnight, but we've done years, sometimes decades of damage that we yeah. can't expect them to just be okay with overnight because we yeah. you know, because we've made a decision. And um, I think that's really important to think about if you are a friend or a family member of someone who's struggling with addiction is that um, it's okay to take time. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not immediately be like, great, this relationship can, t- can continue in the exact same way as it's always been just without alcohol. Um, or even like, I'm okay with this relationship or in a good place with it with as long as it looks like this. Take, it, it takes time. And it, that's okay to take time to figure out what the new normal is. And to, I think it also took some time um, for, for trust to regain in a lot of my relationships, um, more so with like my family. Uh, I think I, I wouldn't say they didn't trust me, but I think I had done, made some bad choices that were not trustworthy and were not responsible. And I, I earned it. And it's interesting, one of my um, clients this past weekend, he got a a pass to go home to see his family. And he called, he was staying with his mom and he called his mom and said, hey, I'm going to go 7-Eleven and get a Dr. Pepper on the way home. And his mom said, I'm timing you. And, you know, when you're in your first six months of sobriety and someone doesn't trust you like that, or a friend or a family member is really skeptical of what you're doing or your whereabouts when you've been previously very shady about it. Right. I mean, my first response would be like, I'm a grown woman. You're going to time me. I'm just going to get a soda. Are you kidding? And, but his response was so refreshing. I said, how did, how did you respond when she said she timed, she was timing you. And he said, I told her I earned that. I earned that. Like we, as alcoholics and, and addicts, if, you know, anyone in that population is listening to this, have to understand that um, just because we've made a choice and we're we're finding a solution and we're okay with it doesn't mean that the whole world around us has to be okay with it. And that's okay. Um, those who are okay with it or, or those who will eventually be okay with it are probably going to be the ones who are willing to do the work, um, put in the time and energy and effort and emotional, you know, connection to make that relationship salvageable. And kind of like you were saying, those who aren't okay with it, they probably weren't there for, to quote The Bachelor, they probably weren't there for the right reasons. Yeah. I've now mentioned The Bachelor two times in this episode, and I have watched exactly zero episodes of The Bachelor in the last like five years, but okay. One more time and you're voted off the island. Truly, I would much rather a survivor reference. Yeah. Can Thank I you. can I give a piece of advice for that's kind of the opposite of yours? Yeah. So I love you, your recommendation for people that had loved ones that were um, in recovery and and going through recovery is give it time. Allow yeah. new relationships 
styles and dynamics to form. Mine is a little different. Um, I, I totally agree with what you said, but when you have higher bottoms like you and I did, mm-hmm. there are definitely relationships that are really close to you that you've damaged and especially family and you, you've earned the way you've been treated, though you're being treated. But for me, there were so many people that never saw the dark side of it yes. and had no idea what the alcoholic brain really does. Yes. Um, that there were so many people that either said, I think you're being dramatic by getting sober. I don't really think you're an alcoholic. Um, oh, yes. All those things. So if, and, and multiple, but they get a little too specific to a few people. But I had interactions like that where I kind of had to say, just trust me. Yes. Just, just trust yes. that drinking is not in my best interest. And just trust me when I say I think I'm an alcoholic that I would not say that yes. unless it was literally the last option. I would not part with my beloved alcohol for anything. Yep. So if I'm telling you that I'm not drinking anymore, it is because I have gone through every single other option. And this is the only one that keeps me alive. Yeah. And I had to, uh, that, that conversation, that exact conversation happened and it, it kind of forced my hand in revealing some of like how much of a liar I'd been because Mm. I was like, you didn't realize all these things that were going on because I was flat out lying or hiding things or being Mm. manipulative. And it's, it's so it forced kind of my hand on saying, you know, you, you can say that now knowing what you know, but you know, 20%. Right. Right. No, exactly. And, And that was hard, particularly, I think, for some family members um, to hear because they that didn't match up with their perception of me. And I right. think that and that's been an interesting piece too in like new friendships with people uh, that have formed and like new relationships. I'll like casually mention something that I did that was kind of more crazy or wild or like crying over mozzarella sticks or I love booze and boys, you know, I'll mention something like that. And so many people are like, who, who is that person? Like Mm -hmm. after that first episode aired, the number of people were like, what, who were you? Because it's a huge compliment to who you are now. Well, but I mean, and then the number of people who, uh, one of my friends, fiance now, but former boyfriend is like, man, I really wish I could have hung out with drinking Molly. She sounds mm. really fun. And mm. I'm like, mm. she was really fun until like yeah. 11, you know, yeah. <laughs> and she was not fun. Yeah. Those are but hard comments. Cause like, you know, they, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't mean anything by it. Mm-mm. It's just something that you kind of say, yep, we have different perspectives and different mm-hmm. experiences in this. So just mm-hmm. trust me that it's in all of our best interest for me to not be drinking because yeah. either I would become a complete mess or I would drink all of the drinks here and then you wouldn't have any. So it's in everyone's best interest that I stay sober tonight. Yeah. And it's, I, I think the, the 
kind of back to what you're saying, that confidence in who you are and your decision and uh, your identity yeah. is so key in being able to be that assertive and like set that firm boundary because so many that I, and I'm sure you have had this experience too, where people are like, Oh, just one or like, it's not that bad. Or just it's, sit, Molly, just especially sit. early on. Um, yeah. and it's like the, the ability to be able to set that boundary and be like, Nope, none, not even yeah. a little bit is that was really like, that was a turning point. Yeah. And we should talk about it on another episode of the abstinence versus moderation because mm-hmm. um I I was a way happier person just completely abstaining than I was trying to figure out how to moderate. Oh, I have lots to say about night that. and day. So we should we should do another episode on that because I think I think that might be our experience. Uh might be helpful to to anyone that's going through the same thing and just sucks at moderating. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a great idea. Okay. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, if you're, if you're newly sober, just hang in there. It gets better. I promise my, like I, I go to a 12 set meeting every single day, except for Sunday. And I never thought I would be that person mm-hmm. ever. In my first few years, I went to a meeting, maybe, I don't know, once, once or twice a month, like was not was not very religious about it. And now I go every single day solely because I love the people in that meeting so much. And they are such an integral part of my life that I I want to spend time with them and I want to talk to them and I want to tell them about what happened yesterday and hear what happened. And um, those kinds of relationships are so valuable in keeping yourself moving forward um, and keeping yourself on track is keeping mm-hmm. those people around that are going to point you to a higher power and help be accountability buddies to stay away from it. Yeah. Um, I would add if you are supporting a loved one who is struggling with addiction, if you are listening to this and you're uh, supporting a friend or a family member who is um, trying to get sober or who is newly sober or even who's been sober a long time, I think the best uh, advice I can give is to just be honest and uh, talk to them about, you know, what they need or could use from you as a friend. Um, because it, and, and understanding that it might change and, um, that as much as we speak from our personal experiences and we share a lot of the same experiences, not everyone shares the same journey that we've had. And so the best thing you can do is just, um, I think ask people their individual preferences as much as we can yeah. speak for ourselves. That's we can only share our experience, strength, and hope, and we can't speak to the uh, experiences of of everyone. So yeah, uh, keeping really great open lines of communication and just in a very like honest and um, sincere way, I think will work wonders. I love it a great way to end the episode okay. All spoken right, like a true counselor oh gosh <laughs> as always it was so wonderful to chat with you today yeah you know i'll send you a picture when my driver's license comes in the mail cool I'm not can do you, it over the uh, podcast because 
Can you send me your social security card too? And your debit well, card? No, in the front, I, the front and the back. It's inappropriate <laughs> to ask me that because I'm just going to post it all on social media. Yeah. Driver's license number, full address, because I'm so excited. I'm just going to post it. Perfect. I'm going yeah. to Louis Vuitton. Easy. All right. Okay. Bye, love you. Love you. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Life Not Wasted podcast, click the share button and send this episode to a friend that would enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way to help us reach new people who may need a little encouragement on their journey. Thanks again for listening, subscribing, and sharing the Life Not Wasted podcast with your people. Talk to you next time.